If you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 6. As you can see from the graphic there that the, the title of uh, the, the sermon today is When I Want to Give Up. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt like giving up. Um, I have. I'm sure you have for one reason or another. And the book of Galatians is really, really helpful. Um, one thing that we're going to do is that the main text that we're going to look at is in Galatians 6, but throughout this, we're going to be kind of looking at some passages that were happening earlier so we can kind of see what Paul, who wrote this book, what Paul was, was trying to communicate through this, okay? And so we'll be flipping back, and so just be ready to do that as we uh, go through this this morning here. As I was thinking about the idea of giving up, there's a couple main reasons, and these, I don't pretend these to be the only reasons why people are tempted to quit or to give up, but two main reasons came to my mind, and that is that we doubt our ability to finish, okay? So if we doubt that we are going to be able to finish whatever we're doing, we're tempted to give up in that moment. Uh, or we doubt that the reward of completing whatever we do is actually even going to be worth it. We're tempted to give up at that time. And so that really can go into a lot of different ways. I mean, we think of uh, the, the idea of running. Um, we, uh, if, you're, if you're running, in, in which there have been days in my life where I have done that, um, but uh, you, there's times where you just feel like giving up and quitting. Um, I don't know where Michael is and everything, Michael. Oh, there he is. Do you ever feel like giving up when you're running? Okay, he just ruined my sermon illustration there. So other than Michael, every other runner has felt like giving up at some point, at <laughs> some time in, uh, uh, in the course of running a marathon or a race or something like this. What about writing? I remember when I was in seminary, I did a writing workshop with a professor, and, uh, and he put this graph. I think I've shared it before here, but he shared this graph of like the, the stages of writing, and it starts like, hey, this is great, this is fun, and then it goes goes into this idea of, oh, this is, this is tricky. This is, this is a little bit more difficult than I thought. And, and it, then it goes into this is, you know, this is terrible. What I'm doing is terrible. Then it goes to I'm terrible, okay? Then it's like, this is fun. Then we can get this done. And so it, it is this, this curve that you go through when you're trying to get through a project that, or maybe even a business venture, and you're trying to start a business, or you're helping someone start a business, or something like that, or, or a new career. You're embarking upon a new career. At times, you feel like giving up. Even things that are in entertainment of our hobbies and stuff, there's, there's times where we'll be working on a project or something that we're doing, and, and we like it at first, and we want it, it wants to be done, but then over the course of time, it becomes more difficult than what we imagined, and we feel like giving up. And so what I want to talk about today is that we all are tempted to give up. We're all tempted to throw in the towel. Let me read Galatians 6, 1 through 10. We'll pray, then we'll dive into how we can find encouragement from God's word about that when we do feel like giving up. Galatians 6, 1, it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, 
And then, uh, let's see here, but each one tests his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me pray and ask God's enabling grace during this time, and then we'll dive in. Father, we do want to pause now every time we open your word, and whenever I have the privilege of speaking out of your word, I, I, I am reminded of our, uh, the task before us and my inabilities and um, how great and awesome your word is and you are and we want to get it right and so these next few moments as I have this privilege to, to speak and to teach from about this book of Galatians, I pray that I would be led by your spirit. Father, I pray that as those who are listening in the room and online, I pray that they would be guided by your spirit as well. Father, the only way that any eternal significant uh, thing is going to happen to any of us is if your spirit guides that and we're submitted to your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that we'd be able to put aside distractions and we'd be able to focus in on you and your word for these few moments and that I would be able to communicate in a way that is, is helpful and accurate to the text. For it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. As you can see on the screen, the first we're going to talk about two things this morning. We're going to talk about first about how the Christian life is undeniably difficult, and then we're going to talk about the rewards of the Christian life. But first of all, this idea of the Christian life being undeniably difficult. I'm going to give you three reasons for that, and we're going to look at all of Galatians for that. And again, this is an exhaustive list, but these are just to kind of begin our thinking on the subject here. We're going to talk about deception, we're going to talk about people, and we're going to talk about some responsibilities. So first of all, this why is the Christian life undeniably difficult? If, if I were to say that to you, I don't think any of you would really push back too much on me on that. They, I think you would understand by your experience of the Christian life so far, whether it be just a few months or whether it be many years, you know that at times it is tough to live out the Christian life. Why is that? Well, I believe that Paul is talking to a group of Galatians here. If you go back to chapter 1, I want to show you something here. It says in 1.6, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. You see, what had happened was, is that they were falling under some deception of the, uh, of false teachers. And so there was this group of churches here in Galatia. Now, Galatia is not a city, okay? It's a region. So sometimes when you're looking in the scriptures and you see what Paul is writing, maybe to the Colossians or to the Philippians, uh, things like that, that's right, written to cities, churches who were in this city. Galatia was not a city. It was actually a region, if you will. And so he's writing to the many churches that comprise this uh, region, that, that are in this region here. And he had, uh, from his missionary journeys that we read about in the book of Acts, we know that the gospel had been going forward and going through this place. But Paul, later on, he comes back and he says in verse 6, I, I'm astonished that you're deserting him. You're going back. You're being deceived. It, it's not just in chapter 1. Look in chapter 3, in verse 1. It says this. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
Okay, and so he's talking about this idea of that someone, in some way, they had, they had convinced or they had deceived these Galatian Christians to, to try to go back to uh, something that was not only about Christ, and, and, and it was Christ and something, or that you had to add something to the Christian life. And so what Paul is saying here is, and even in chapter 6, we see this idea of deception in verse 3, and then also in uh, verse 7. So this idea of uh, this topic of deception comes up throughout the book. And what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, deception is a bigger challenge than you want to admit. That none of us think that we are the ones that are being deceived. We know that other people are being deceived. We know that other people uh, uh, can be deceived. But often, we like to think that we are the ones that get it right all the time. But the reality is, is that we all are subject to deception. And that's the reason why we need to be very cautious. And we go back to the scriptures. And we go back to what the word says. And that informs how we uh, believe. It's not just here in Galatians. I, I mentioned Colossians. Uh, there's, there's a book of Colossians where Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. He had never visited the church, but he was writing to there. And, and he was saying that they were being deceived as well. He talks about how they were being deceived through empty philosophies and human traditions. We see that in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Colossians. So this was a real problem. And let me tell you, if it was a real problem for them, it's a real problem for us. It's a real problem for us because we have access to so much more information than anyone in the course of history. But the problem is, it's not all right information. It's not all good information. And so we have a, a bigger challenge ahead of us to wade through what is right and what is wrong. And the Christian life is difficult because we are constantly bombarded with competing philosophies and things that capture and seek to try to get our attention and try to take our focus off of Christ. And so again, we like to think that everyone else needs to fact check, but we don't. But the reality is we are susceptible to, to deception just like anyone else. And so this is one of the reasons you remember a couple weeks ago, we spoke from Romans chapter 14, and we're talking about how that, well, um, uh, that there's a difference of opinion on things and, and how we, we just need to get along and we need to be, be um, uh, um, uh, patient with each other and loving towards each other. But one thing I want to drive home with that as well is that it's not, it's not only just important about what we believe, but it's also important of how we came to the conclusions. You remember in chapter 14, it says that the people who were making their decisions, it was in honor of the Lord. Okay? And so that was how they came to the conclusion. So my point is this, is that we're trying to live this Christian life, as we're trying to live this difficult life, we need to make sure that we are going back to the Scriptures. We need to make sure that we are vetting our thinking through the pages of the Scriptures. We're vetting what we post on social media. We're vetting our communication. We're vetting our heart attitudes towards other people through Scripture and not through worldly philosophy and what is common? It's common in the world just to say it's good to vent. It's good to, uh, 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 you know, uh, tell someone off. But the reality is, Proverbs says, only a fool gives full vent to his feelings. And so, like Proverbs 3 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. 
So these are things that we just need to be careful of. So as we look at this text here in Galatians, he's talking about the, the Christian life here. He's encouraging them. He's, he's dismayed that they're turning away uh, from uh, the, the, the gospel. But he says several times there throughout this book, and then here, don't be deceived. So my question is, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make right now is this. I don't know what the possible deception is in your life. It could be in a, a million different directions. My only point right now is that we need to be very cautious and we need to be honest with ourselves that we truly can be deceived and not think it's just something someone else struggles with. So the Christian life is difficult because deception is a bigger challenge than we want to admit. So that's like an outside influence on us. But there's also an inside influence on this, uh, on our lives. So the reason why uh, the Christian life is difficult is that because people are more difficult than we can nicely express, Okay. All right, people are more difficult than we can nicely express. And we see this in, again, uh, throughout this book here. And I'm going to get to the, this is leading up to what is going to be highlighted in chapter six. But in chapter five, I don't know if you saw this or if you've noted this before, but in chapter five, this was obviously a problem that was going on. In verse 15, it says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In verse 26 of chapter 5, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, the same struggles that we have today, Paul was dealing with with the Galatian churches. And look at chapter 4. This was such a big problem that Paul, he was, he was, he was, his heart was being torn apart because he had loved these people and he was preaching to these people and was trying to help them and he was trying to encourage them in the Lord and they were growing and things were good, things were happening. But then they started going back and look what he says in chapter 4 and verse 11. He says, well, actually in verse uh, 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 9, he says, but now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. And he says this, I am afraid I may have labored, labored over you in vain. I mean, think about that for a second. Think about what Paul was communicating there. He was saying, have, has everything I've been doing here been for naught? Hey, 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 I've been working with you and trying to encourage you, and, 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 and we saw some growth, but, but now you're just, you're just going back to what the flesh wants to do, and he says, don't do that. He goes, have I done this in vain? I can tell you, I felt that as a pastor. Sometimes you, you, you see people grow, and you spend a lot of time with them, and, and you spend hours and hours, and then, or, or you just put a lot of work into trying to help people grow, and then you see some growth, and you're like, oh, this is good. Praise the Lord. And then and then they go back. And you're like, was it worthless? You see, people are difficult. That's the reason why the Christian life is so difficult, is because it inherently involves people. And so it's difficult. Look at their fickleness of these people. Again, in chapter 4, verse 8, uh, he talks about how that they're going to they're go back and then later on. Um, but I want you to see in verse 13, he's given a little bit of a history there. This is chapter 4 of Galatians. He says, and, and though my condition was a trial to you, 
Uh, verse 13, I'm sorry. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you first. And so he spent some time with them because he was dealing with a physical issue, so he had to spend extra time there. And he says, though my condition was a trial, so you did not scorn or despise me. You received me as an angel. That's like a messenger. It's another word for messenger. A messenger of Christ, of God as Christ Jesus. He says, what then became of the blessing you felt? He goes, for I would testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Some people think that one of the physical trials that he was dealing with was eyesight, and that's why he does this. But even if it wasn't, he, that's the reason why he uses that example. But even if it wasn't that, he's just basically saying, you, wait a minute here, you, you, you were so grateful for the message of the cross that, that you, you would have done anything to, to encourage me in my ministry and, and, and so I can continue on. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? He says, the fickleness of people. He says, you know, where, where, where did this happen? Where did this relationship go? I, I've just tried to tell you the truth, and all of a sudden I'm an enemy. That happens when we are living the Christian life, and we have to tell people truth, when we have to encourage them in the Lord. People are fickle. You see, people are more difficult than we can nicely express and this is an inside influence. What I mean by inside, I'm talking about like inside the corporate, the, the church, that we should be getting along. We should be not fighting with one another. But sadly, that is not the case, is it? Too many times the church is known not for unity and peace, right? Too many times the church is known for people bickering and fighting. And right now, we live in a time where it is, there is a lot of pressure on people right now. There, there are pressures about in society uh, with, with all sorts of things. You know what's going on. I don't need to review it. But that is causing people to take sides on issues. And, my, and, and where I'm grieved is when I see Christians treating each other incredibly poorly. And I think that this is what Paul's getting at. He's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you doing this? Why are you biting and devouring one another, verse 15? Why, why, are you, why are you, if Paul were alive today, he'd be saying, why are you posting that? He would say, why are you, why are you, you know, viewing that person in this way? This is, this is what Christ died for. This is what Christ loves. Why are you doing that? He says, don't, don't provoke one another, verse five, chapter 5, verse 26. And so their fickleness, the people are so difficult there. And so we see that the Christian life is difficult because of the deception that we are all prone to, whether we like to admit it or not, or that people are more difficult. But there's another reason before I talk to you about the rewards, and that is this, is that the responsibilities, this is the reason why the Christian life is difficult, the responsibilities of the Christian life are taxing. This is internal pressure. These are the things that are required of us. Now we're in chapter 6, okay? I, I, I felt like we couldn't really begin talking about chapter 6 since you kind of got the, 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 the pathos, the ethos, of what was going on in the first five chapters. He says, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. You see, the responsibilities of the Christian life is that we are to be seeking to help other people grow in their Christian life. That should be a priority of ours, that we are looking to help people grow. We're not looking to tear them down. We're not looking to look down on them. We're not looking to be irritated with them or have condescending attitudes toward them. We are trying to, we are to help people grow. And a lot of times people say, well, I just think that another person is so wrong. Okay, if you really think they're wrong, then look at Galatians 6.1. 
It doesn't say to just be irritated with them. It doesn't say just to look down on them. It doesn't say to think you're better than them. It says to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. You say, well, man, that's, that's tough. It is tough. It is messy to get involved in other people's lives. But that's what God has asked us to do. We're to restore a fallen brother. But he gives qualification there. He says, with the spirit of gentleness. He says, we don't go after someone you know, with a baseball bat. We don't go after someone thinking, okay, I'm going to teach you the way to be spiritual here. No, we, we go with a spirit of gentleness knowing that we too can be tempted. That's, that's this idea of self-awareness and humility there. So if we are going to get involved in someone, in someone's life, it needs to be in a spirit of gentleness. And a lot of the communication that I see between Christians, I don't think could be characterized by gentleness. That's something that we really need to think through and repent of, if that is true of us. Not only is it taxing because we have to be working in a restoration process and, and it is painstaking, restoring is difficult. But my wife and I watched a video recently of a, of a person, we don't know who it was, we never saw the person, but he took a, an old toy and this, this, this old toy was, was rusted and it was, it was one of those metal toys. You remember when they made toys out of metal? Uh, and so uh, it was rusted and it was, it was terrible. It looked like, I don't even know if the wheels fully moved and all that stuff. It was like a hot rod uh, racer roadster. And so uh, he walked through the entire process of how he restores this thing. And he gets all the rust off and he repaints it and he manufactures a couple pieces for it and everything. All that to say is at the end of it, it was this beautiful toy. I mean, it, it looked like it was brand new and it was obviously a very, very old toy. He restored it. But Nook and I were commenting, like, the work that that took, how difficult it was. It took a long time. It took a lot of effort into getting it back, but it was worth it in the end. You see, that's what it is when we're working with other people. It's painful. It's long. It's taxing. But it's what God has called us to do, and it's worth it in the end. But notice it says in verse 2 there of chapter 6, not only are we restore, but we're to bear one another's burdens. And this, is, and this is where we're trying to help people through this life. And, and that's taxing because you feel like you have enough of your own burdens to bear. And he gets to that. He gets to that here in verse 5 when he says, for each you have to bear his own load. Now, is that contradiction there? Does verse 2 and verse 5, are they at odds with each other? It says you've got to bear one another's burdens, but it says, but you've got to bear your own. Well, the difference is, is the two different words there. The one is this idea of a burden that is crushing, that it requires assistance. The last one, verse 5, the word that Paul uses there, it's like, it's like something you just should carry along on a journey, almost like a backpack. And he says, listen, you're going to have your own things to carry through in the Christian life that no one else is going to be able to help you with. But you're all also going to have these crushing times where you need the assistance of other people and they need your assistance. But the problem is a lot of times we're so focused on our own backpack that we're not willing to help someone when they're crushed or being crushed. You see, it's taxing. This is why the Christian life is hard. It's because it's so difficult. There's this internal pressure of knowing that you should be doing this, but yet you just don't feel like you have the energy to do it. So it's like you've got to work with people. You've got to be together. And for some, that's really difficult. You know, when I was in college and in seminary, I, I took a, a lot of courses and things like that, and they all have different types of assignments. 
Uh, some were, a lot of them were writing papers. I enjoyed that part of it. I mean, I didn't always enjoy writing papers, but I mean, that was the type of assignment that was probably the easiest for me uh, to do, to tackle. And I could just sit down with a computer, sit down with a whole bunch of books and just write. Uh, in college, I remember we didn't have uh, computers, personal computers. Uh, they were, we, we had just gotten a computer lab at the college I went to, so it shows you a little bit of how fast technology has, has come onto the scene because I'm incredibly young. But uh, the point is, is that uh, I would sit in the library for hours, just get a bunch of books, sit in the library around a computer terminal, and I would write my paper. And I'd sit there for hours and, and write the paper. Um, there were other type of assignments, though, that you know, you'd have to get up and give a speech or something like that. But then there was the most dreaded assignment of all. And whenever I saw this on the syllabi, I, uh, on a syllabus, uh, it, you know, when I was reviewing my syllabi, I, um, I just, my heart would sink. And I would just, I would dread these assignments more than getting up and speaking in front of people or writing, you know, 15, 20, 30 page papers. You think, what well, you're asking, what is the assignment? Here's the assignment. It was the group assignment. Hated those. Absolutely hated the group assignments. Why? Because that meant I had to depend on other people to do their stuff. And I had to meet with people. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? Are you doing this? Are you getting that done? And, and someone was procrastinating or maybe, you know, on a rare occasion, I was the procrastinator or something like that. But it was dependent on other people. I hated group assignments. Absolutely despised them. You know what I figured out? Much to my dismay, the Christian life is one big group project. <laughs> we are to be involved with other people. We are to be mixing with other people. We are to be encouraging other people. We are to be sharing their burdens, and we are to bear them. And this is the reason why the Christian life is difficult, because we are so focused on our own problems that we are not even looking at other people's. And the reality is, or we try to minimize other people's uh, uh, difficulties. But here's what he says. He says, Bear one another's burdens. And this is, I know it's difficult, but bear each other's burdens. Now, so the title of the message is what I do when I want to quit. Up to this point, I think the only option is to quit, right? I mean, I've talked about how difficult the Christian life is. I've talked about how people are difficult. I've talked about how it's, it's difficult to interact with the deception that we all have, all this so how is it that we can keep going? How is it that when I start feeling like chapter 4, verse 11, what Paul says to the Galatians, have I labored over you in vain? How is it that we can continue going when you have those thoughts? How is it that we can continue going when these burdens seem so crushing to us? And that is that the Christian life is incomprehensibly rewarding. We have to believe that reality because this is what Paul teaches here through the Spirit of God. He says this, do not be deceived, verse 7, God is not mocked, okay? He says, don't be deceived by this. God will not be mocked on this. And what he's saying there is like, you can't, there's nothing that we could say, God, you didn't keep your end here. God, you see, you were wrong here. God, okay, we were right, you were wrong. He's saying that's never going to happen. And if God has promised a reward, it's going to happen. But see, the problem is, is that, uh, uh, that the, the Christian life, while it is rewarding, we will be tempted to doubt whether or not the reward is real. We will be tempted to doubt whether or not this is worth it in the 
Christian life. But when I come back to this text, when I start thinking, is this really worth it? Is this really worth it? I come back to a text like this and I see this. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And he gives and he says it goes both ways. He says, don't be deceived by this. He says, because if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. So, but if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap right, right, uh, life everlasting. This is not talking about a work salvation where if you just do enough good things, then you'll eventually get eternal life. And if you do bad things, too many bad things, then you're going to have uh, a destruction away from God. That's not what this is teaching. He, remember, he's talking to people who are believers. In verse 1 of chapter 6, he calls them brothers, which is a universal term for men and women, kind of like we would say mankind. But he says, brothers, these are men and women who are believers. And so he's talking to believers here. So he knows that their eternal state is already secured. But what he is saying, he's saying, even in our Christian state, we can live in a way that is contrary to the gospel. And that is going to cause harm. And that is going to cause pain. And if you do that, you will reap that. And so if we, if we sow to the flesh in terms of how we treat other people, we ignore other people, or we look down on other people, or we're just bitter towards other people, that is going to cause us to reap corruption in our own souls. Now, God is forgiving, of course, but it is going to make it hard. However, on the other side, if we sow to the Spirit, he says, if we live according to God's Spirit, he says, we will reap life then. And so don't be tempted to doubt that your reward is real. Because if we, if we soldier on, if we follow Christ, if we live in a way that even when we are tempted to quit, the Bible is very clear that what we sow, we will reap. He says, and let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So not only are we going to be tempted to doubt that the reward is real, but we will be tempted to give up. Why did he put that in there if we do not give up? Because Paul felt it. The Apostle Paul, the one who is heralded as one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, the one who wrote much of our New Testament, if we read his letters, we see this theme coming up of how he despaired. In the Corinthian letter, he talked about how he despaired even of life itself. And here he says that we will reap if we do not give up. I get the sense by reading this text, this is the reason why it took so much time in the beginning to walk through different passages in Galatians so you could see what he was feeling there. He says, have I, have I, have I ministered to you in vain? When he says, if we do not give up, he's preaching to himself as well as he's preaching to us. Paul's like me in a lot of ways. I preach sermons that I need to hear. You know, I, I'm tempted to give up. I'm not going to lie. There's times where I think, yeah, I don't know, is it worth it? When I come back to this text, this is, this is what the Lord uses to reestablish my soul. Is that you will reap if you do not give up. Don't grow weary in doing well. So even though we're tempted to doubt that the reward is real, and even though we're tempted to give up, we can be sure that a reward is coming because the scriptures teach this. But... There's a truth I need to share here, and then we're going to start circling the landing strip for, the, for, the, for the, the, the end here. But here's the point. How can we be sure that the reward is real? How can we be sure that God will make our efforts, the ones that we don't see a harvest right now, how can we be sure that there truly will be a harvest there? 
How can we be sure that the work that we're doing, that we're putting into other people when they are rejecting us, how can we be sure that that's going to turn out for good? How can we be sure that when I'm trying to restore someone and they reject me or they, they uh, uh, you know, want nothing to do with me anymore, how can I be sure that that's actually going to be something good? It doesn't feel good to me in the moment. How can we be sure that when we make decisions to live holy, righteously, and godly in this present world, putting aside the things that we feel like doing in our flesh, how can we be sure that it's going to be worth it in the end? How can we be sure about that? Well, it's one thing to say, well, the Bible says it, but there's another truth that you just need to understand, and it is this. We can be sure that the reward is coming because the harvest is guaranteed by the Lord of the harvest, and it is not dependent upon the skill of the farmer. Okay, you see, the, 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 the harvest that is promised here in Galatian is all about the Spirit, okay, coming from the Spirit. Notice he doesn't say because of your good work. He doesn't say because of your skills. He says that of the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's not from your good efforts. It's not from your skills. It's from God. Now, I don't want to take anything away from a farmer's life here. I know that the farmer's life is very difficult. And I know that there's skill involved with it. But the reality is, a very small child can grow a tomato just as well as an adult can. Right? A very small child can put the seed in the ground, and a very small child can make sure that there's dirt on top, and a very small child can make sure that there's water, and a very small child can make sure it's in the path of sunlight. And then the tomato comes. An adult can do that just as well, right? You see, the fruit that comes from that isn't dependent upon the maturity or the skill of the person. Whenever a tomato comes out of the ground, it's because the Lord of the harvest made it come out of the ground. And whenever you see something that is a fruit of what you are doing in your life and me, what I'm doing in my life, it's not because of skill in my, uh, or my abilities or your abilities. It is because the Lord of the harvest. See, that's what gives me hope. That's why I can keep going when I'm tempted to give up, when I'm tempted to say, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. I don't know if I have the skills. I don't know if I have the ability to keep going. I don't know if I have the energy to do it. I'm just so tired and exhausted. I don't know if I can keep doing this anymore. I come back to this and I say, yeah, but the reward is not dependent upon my energy. The reward is not dependent upon my skill. The reward is dependent upon the Lord of the harvest. And he's promised that we will reap if we faint not. And so as we're trying to get along, as we're trying to go forward in the midst of difficult times, and we're, we're, we're tempted to be confused, we're tempted to be irritated, we're tempted to be self-focused, go back to this text here. And look what God has asked us to do, and look what he has promised here. Now look how Paul ends this. He ends this with this, so then. Verse 10, so then. After all of this, learning all of this, so then. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who have the household of faith. Now, notice what he says here. He qualifies this, and he says, you need to do good to everyone. He says, as you have opportunity. So as the Lord, the Lord brings opportunity, as you see opportunities to do good, do it. Everybody, and especially those who are the household of faith, especially the believers. Notice what he, how he doesn't qualify this. He doesn't say, so then, as you have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, 
especially to those who are the household of faith, who you agree with. He doesn't say, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith, who vote the same way that you do. He, he doesn't say, and let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith, except those who are very irritating on Facebook. You see, what God has asked us to do is he's asked us to love one another. He's asked us to be patient with one another. He's asked us to do good to all those who are the household of faith. He says, don't give up. Don't give up. Remember, I said two main reasons we're tempted to quit or give up is when we doubt our ability to finish or we doubt the reward will be worth it. The reward is worth it. Let me promise you that from the authority of God's word. The reward to the Christian life is worth it. God is not a debtor to anybody. He will reward in ways that we cannot imagine. And it doesn't necessarily mean material-wise. But God is a good God. And God is a God who uses people, broken vessels, all throughout the pages of Scripture. Uh, we could have taken time to go through that, or how he did that, and how he used people who were broken. You think of Daniel, we think of Moses, we think of Noah, we think of Abraham, we think of all these people who God used in their flaws, and yet he rewarded their efforts, and God caused them to be greatly used of him, and despite their weakness, because it wasn't dependent upon them, it was dependent upon God. The reward is worth it. And we can finish the race because it is not up to us to live perfectly in this. If we mess up, guess what? That doesn't disqualify us from the race. If we know Christ, we get back in and we can finish by the power of grace. So don't grow weary in being patient with each other. Don't grow weary of being kind to each other. Don't be deceived into thinking that it's okay to complain about each other and fight with each other. Remember that God loves you even in your most unlovable moments. And we should love others the same way. Remember that the responsibilities of the Christian life are hard, but possible with God's enabling power. And remember that reward is coming, and that's based upon God and not upon you or me and our performance. So let us not grow weary in doing good, for we will reap if we do not give up. Let's pray, and then we'll sing one more song. Father, Lord, I do pray that we wouldn't give up. Father, there's so much more that could have been said, probably even should have been said, but I pray that you would take the, the truths of the scriptures that we've just looked at, and, and through the uh, weaknesses of my communication, I pray that your truth would overshadow that, and that we would see that it is truly possible to live this life in a way that would be helpful to other people and be honoring to you. We're tired, God. Many times we are tired and exhausted. So I pray that we would not give up. I pray that we would look to the Lord of the harvest and not upon our own skills and efforts. And I pray that we would reap and not faint. Father, I pray that we would go forward in a spirit of unity and love and that we'd be patient with each other. We'd restore one another. We bear each other's burdens, all with a spirit of gentleness and humility and self-awareness. For your name's sake and not for ours. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.